Hi, everyone, and welcome to Becker's 2022 Women's in Diversity Leadership Virtual Event. I'm Erica Carbajal, writer and reporter with Becker's Hospital Review, and I'll be moderating today's session, How to Build an Equitable and Inclusive Culture in the Workplace. With the ongoing pandemic and great resignation era, workplace culture has perhaps never been more important. And while every organization aims to create an inclusive culture where every team member is truly seen and heard, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to doing so. Today, I'm joined by four excellent leaders to discuss some of the most effective strategies that have helped shape a strong culture and built trust with team members at their organizations, as well as ways to ensure diversity and inclusion efforts go beyond meeting benchmarks. So before we start off, I'd like to just have each of our panelists briefly introduce themselves and, and share a bit more about their organization. So, so Michelle, do you wanna start us off here? Sure. Hi, Michelle Heavens. I am a vice president for operations uh, for clinical network services within Ascension. Ascension is one of uh, our largest Catholic uh, health systems in the country and diversity and inclusion uh, is a priority for our organization. So I look forward to sharing more insight about our efforts today. Welcome, Michelle. And, and Andrea? Hello, I'm Andrea Procaccino. I'm the Chief Learning Officer and the Vice President of Talent Development and Diversity at New York Presbyterian Hospital and Health System. We are one of the largest health systems, uh, academic medical institutions in the country. Uh, and uh, at the core of everything we do is the culture of belonging and respect. And that is foundational to everything we do. So I too am looking forward to sharing some of the work that we've been doing to build that culture. Great to have you in, Karen. Hi, I'm Karen Murphy, Chief Innovation Officer at Geisinger, uh, located throughout Pennsylvania, Central Pennsylvania, Rural Pennsylvania, and Northeastern Pennsylvania. It's a pleasure to be here. Not only um, is inclusion and diversity very important for the organization, um, it's also very important to me and always has been, so I look forward to the discussion. Thanks, Karen. And, and last but not least here, Rayanne. Yes, hi, I'm Rayanne Booker, Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at University of Michigan Health West. We are a 208-bed hospital located in Wyoming, Michigan. We, in addition to the hospital, we have a 30 different locations where we provide primary and specialty care services. And I'm excited to be a part of today's discussion, especially because I am the inaugural vice president of DEI at our organization. Well, thank you all so much again for being here and for, for giving us a glimpse into your roles and your organizations. Now, I know I've asked each of you to prepare a few thoughts and or strategies on how to foster a culture that promotes diversity in a meaningful way. So, Rand, do you want to start us off with your with your first thought today? Certainly. So, um, I'm the, the new first ever vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion with our organization, and it was very um, critical to me that as we launch this work, or at least formalize an office, because there were some efforts that happened before I joined the organization. But as we formalized the work of this new department, it was in one of my top priorities was ensuring that we developed common language and shared understanding of what we mean as an organization when we use those three terms, diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
because within healthcare and across different industries, people apply different meanings to those terms. And I find based on our how we're defining those terms, we can either be making progress in this space or unintentionally be undermining our efforts. And so at our organization, we early on developed the five element framework where we were clearly communicating to our organization what diversity means, what equity means, the importance of cultural competency, the importance of a demonstrated individual and organizational commitment, and our end goal, which is inclusion. And if we're doing our work effectively and achieving inclusion, we'll be promoting full participation of all of our community members. Inclusion it will be reflected in our individual and organizational outcomes. Everyone will be receiving the care that they need. And so that five element framework, that common language and shared understanding is presented to all of our new employees. It's incorporated in all of our trainings. And to me, it's a foundational step for any organization that's looking to be effective in this space. Absolutely, thank you. I'm so glad you brought up the, you know, the aspect of starting with the fundamentals there. I think it, it's something that sounds so simple, but in many cases, not clearly defined. And can we, before we move on, let's differentiate between equitable and inclusive. Can, can you each touch on why are both important here and just sort of di differentiate between the two there? Um, Karen, I'll start with you here. Sure, so um, very important um, to build on that topic because I think you could have an organization committed to equity, but not be inclusive. So um, the idea of inclusiveness um, for our health systems, both employees and patients being engaged and feel like they're being heard and feel like not only are they being heard, but we're taking action on really what they're um, involved in. Where equity, um, I think a lot of times, and I think that framework is a really great framework. I think a lot of times we talk about equity, but that's pretty much what we do um, as really uh, across all, uh, not just healthcare, but many industries. So for equity to really understand um, what we mean by that and really as an organizational value, that everyone in the organizational can ar articulate what that means. What does equity mean and why are we concerned about, uh, about equity? Absolutely, it reminds me of a, of a previous panel session we had. The session was focused on getting a seat at the table and it just sort of reminds me, takes me back to that of mm -hmm. the difference between getting a seat at the table and, and truly being seen and, and heard at the table. And Karen, um, one of the points you shared with me relates a bit back to what Rayanne had shared um, in terms of establishing an, an organizational value. Can you expand a bit on, on that thought? So I think that organizational values begin at the governing board. And I think in terms of a, a strong culture is reflective of what the organization, what the governing board's values are. And to be able to assess that, you really have to say, how is the governing board holding the organization accountable for diversity, inclusion, and equity? And um, 
I think it, ha it, it has to begin at that level and there has to be a plan to really take that throughout the rest of the organization, all the way from the CEO to, um, a, to a frontline employee to understand what do we mean by that value for the organization? What do we mean by saying this is a part of our culture? I think the accountability metrics really from a board is how often do you report on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion? How often, what do you, what standards do you measure um, the organization by to make sure we're meeting those goals so that we're really living the culture. We're not just uh, talking uh, about the culture. On another, we just um, also had appointed an inaugural um, officer, um, Kim Drangle. She's going to speak on another Becker's conference um, on this topic, but I think that's a perfect example of an executive level individual being responsible to carry out that strategy and be the voice between the organization and the governing board. Um, but I really think in order to have any aspect of your culture, um, it really starts at the top of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like that that chain of command structure, mm -hmm. an element there. And Andrea, how, how about at New York Presbyterian? What are some effective strategies or key thoughts you have there? Well, you know, about six, seven years ago, we created our Respect Credo, and that outlines our true north, our compass on how every one of the values we adhere to, how we're going to respect one another as teammates, as people, as individuals, as human beings. And we embedded into that language, language around diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. And it has now become more of our respect and belonging credo. And this really guides everything that we do. And one of the approaches that we took in, in kind of rolling this out was making sure that everyone knows they have a voice in the organization and that their voice matters and that they matter as an individual. And it's about raising awareness to each other, to our stories, to our shared experiences, because we all, all are all not alike. And it's in doing that and in, in raising that awareness and learning about the differences that make us stronger together, that creates a sense of respect among teammates. So we implemented something that we call Dialogues and Diversity about five years ago, which has just been transformational in our culture in really strengthening this um, level of, of respect and awareness about the, around the differences. Um, and what these are is uh, we do about anywhere from four to eight of these a year. Um, it seems that they're growing because they become so popular. Prior to COVID, they were done you know, kind of live stream to everyone's desktop. Now it's all done during, you know, via Zoom um, instead of being live at different locations. And what we do is we have a topic and these are topics that the employees can weigh in on, things that matter to them, things that are happening in their lives and their communities on the national stage that are affecting them, that are affecting them as people, not just as employees, but as, as, as human beings. Topics uh, such as how to create a, uh, you know, a sense of belonging for transgender and gender non-conforming employees, um, understanding neurodiversity and creating acceptance and inclusivity in the workplace. Um, we have topics around spiritual, uh, spirituality and religion and how they come together, how they converge and diverge in, in patient care. 
Uh, we talk about, you know, um, we do celebrations of different cultures, like for Black History Month, or we talk about the stigma of, you know, addiction and how do we break that in the workplace. And what we do is we have a moderated panel that's not scripted. And it's, um, you know, employees can ask live questions and everything's on the table. So it is an open, safe space for people to talk about their lived experiences, to talk about um, their perspectives, to get people to see things in different ways. And we talk about what we can be doing differently as a health system to support employees of this particular um, you know, in this particular situation or population, or how do we um, how do we change our our care model to better be reflective and inclusive, um, if you will? And it, as I said, it's just been transformational because employees feel that they can say whatever they want to in a respectful, professional manner. They're heard, um, and then we encourage the managers. Um, we videotape them. We put together discussion guides for the leaders and post them on our DNI page. And then the leaders can continue that conversation back at the unit or department level and really take it down to what does this mean for us? And how does this change what we're doing in our day-to-day -day work or as or who we are as human beings or how we relate to one another as a team? And we also continue the conversations in our inclusion groups. So each campus has an inclusion group rather than a one-dimensional employee resource group. We have a more broader, inclusion group that looks at the intersectionality of race with gender or race with religion or race with sexual orientation, et cetera. And they continue that conversation down even at the campus level together and say, okay, how is this gonna impact or how can we impact the business model or the work that we're producing at that campus or dealing with the, the local community that we serve. So these dialogues have been something that people rely on to really heighten that awareness and, and get a better, deeper understanding of the person that you're working alongside with every single day. And in the times of COVID, they've become these inspirational moments for staff that are exhausted and, and going through their own PTSD. Now, you know, when you, we're in New York in the counties, we've been at the epicenter of the epicenter since day one with this pandemic. These dialogues and diversities and these celebrations and these open, emotional sharings have become outlets for them as well. So they're even serving this dual inspirational purpose to our employees. And it's something that, you know, the, the, the numbers just keep growing, the impact. And when we do our engagement surveys, we always hear that makes me feel like I belong. That makes me feel heard because you aren't afraid to tackle these tough topics. Absolutely. It's so great to hear that there's such a wide variety of topics being being explored during that series. And, and also, I, I think a big part of that, you know, you and I said, you said that it was unscripted, which I think mm -hmm. builds in factors into the trust um, compartment there as well. And I was just curious, um, I imagine that getting employees to participate, you know, involves some level of trust as well. So do you find that in general, is, is, is there a mix of attendees like people who've been with the organization for a while and new new employees, or does it take a bit for, for newer members to maybe participate or engage during those sorts of sessions? Surprisingly, it's a lovely mix. So we talk about these at orientation and, and you know, talk about, we talk about our credo obviously very deeply at orientation, but we also talk about the dialogue series as well as our inclusion groups. And we have a really nice mix. And because we sit between two academic institutions, we invite our school partners as well. 
So it's just been this lovely, harmonious um, coming together as a tripartite institution to have these conversations. Um, for example, in this last year, when we saw so much hate um, towards the uh, Asian American Pacific Islander population as a result of this pandemic, we had a tripartite town hall conversation with both deans of the medical school, our CEO, as well as a number of providers, clinicians, employees that um, from the AAPI population, really just sharing their stories, um, the good, the bad, the inspirational. And it was, you know, just so wonderful to see, it wasn't just one organization, how we came together and how there is strength together as, as these three institutions. Thanks so much for, for going through that with us. And, and Michelle, I know you shared your, your the abide, abide framework at Ascension. So it's being part of something that um, effectively supports an inclusive culture. So can you expand a bit on, on that model? Sure. There are so many things that have been shared already that, that resonate with, um, with me and with the, the work that's happening in Ascension. So in the summer of about 2020, as part of our ongoing commitment to really listen and pray and learn and, and act to help eliminate racism and systemic injustice, we launched a framework called Abide, which is based on the hallmarks of appreciation, belongingness, inclusivity, diversity, and equity, all of which have been mentioned by each of the panel members. They're a demonstration of our, our historic mission, our values, and also our commitment to social justice. We really designed this approach to lead with inclusion as well, which has been mentioned by several uh, leaders today, which is also consistent with the principles in Catholic social teaching and our identity as a ministry of the church. You know, the framework and the, high, the hallmarks really provide the structure and focus for our, 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 our efforts. And really utilizing this framework has really provided a solid foundation for us for diversity and inclusion uh, practices that can really help advance our ministry goals and re really create an environment that um, encourages a culture that allows the workforce to really flourish and allow people to bring their, their true selves and express their full and authentic selves at work. It really can be applied to any conversation, any plan, any practice. Um, it can be associated with relationships and decision making. It's not really intended to stand alone. Um, it really does help shape that common language that's been mentioned several times and experience from a holistic perspective and identifies points and opportunities, a real guidepost for us for decision-making. Um, and like others have, have mentioned, we've utilized the, um, the framework to really launch um, an opportunity to listen and share personal experiences and perspectives with our colleagues across the organization. And so with that special focus on listening, praying, learning and acting, it's really helped to inform actions that we're taking today and going forward um, as we try to bring the Abide framework to life in our interactions and operations. So to foster inclusion, a major component of this strategy has been to listen. Giving associates voice during their journey has been foundational and we're taking the steps to listen first, really truly hearing and understanding what's being said, and then taking the appropriate action. And it's really um, been important because inclusion shows up, as others have said, in how we value differences, 
welcome individuals to serve with us, really ensure that associates um, have an opportunity to attain their full um, potential. And when you, I think the last thing I'll say is when you think about the framework, it was established with the belief that if we lead with inclusion, we'll create a culture where associates feel valued, they will feel appreciated uh, for the value that they bring to the ministry. Um, and that has really been foundational to the Abide framework and our efforts overall. Absolutely. And I know you said that was newly launched. Can you remind me exactly when you launched this framework? In 2020. 2020. Okay. And is that something that, um, like, new, new additions to the team, um, I know Andrea mentioned, is it something that they're familiarized with during, like, the orientation process? So there are a lot of different opportunities um, for the Abide framework to be introduced. Um, the way that we really started to um, circulate the framework was through various communication strategies across the organization. But what has really been um, foundational to our efforts have been our Abide stories. So to really leverage the journey, um, encouraging everyone to sort of share their personal Abide story with others has been extremely helpful. It's helped to create more understanding and the unique experiences that you have as an individual, um, which helps sort of create empathy and understanding for those experiences. So leaders have been encouraged to really reflect on their own abide story or journey, and that's helped shape their conversations with their teams and really prompted some insights into their own learnings and connections to abide. And as leaders share their by story, they're really demonstrating a certain level of vulnerability and modeling that behavior for their team. That in turn invites the team to reflect on their own journey. And so we've defined each of the hallmarks and we've had the opportunity to circulate those definitions and incorporate them into a whole host of activities of team meetings, huddles. Um, uh, there are different ways to integrate the hallmarks into conversation. The Abide stories have been a safe way to really introduce uh, not only the hallmarks, but to also, again, give an individual an opportunity to share their story um, and really um, encourage some dialogue about what we're hearing within that story. So there's not really one best way to do it. We sort of approached it in multiple different ways. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for explaining that, Michelle. And Ryan, if you're ready to share your next point of, of what's, you know, worked at University of Michigan West. Well, at our hospital, we've been very successful in a number of areas as it relates to DEI, but one that I'm especially excited about, and I think a lot of organizations maybe miss this step in the DEI space, and I think it's taking this time to benchmark where you are as an organization when it comes to DEI and clearly defining where you are headed when it comes to DEI. Lots of times organizations roll out a myriad of activities, well-intended activities, but that risk missing, missing the mark because we have not clearly defined the mark. So early on at, at our organization, we took the time uh, while even getting some activities up and running, um, some of the um, programs that have been shared so far this afternoon, we have some of those similar programs. Along with that, we also took the time to do a climate assessment of an, our organization. 
to, to benchmark where are we when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then also to develop a strategic plan. So what does it look like to embed DEI-related actions and goals throughout the fabric of the organization, building ownership, building account, and building accountability? And so that has been very exciting. It's interesting to me when I started my job, I said, if folks, when it comes to DEI, and if someone is asking the question, you know, what is happening in DEI at University of Michigan Health, Health West? And if your initial next thought is to call the DEI department, we're probably not doing our, our work as well as we should be because it's a thread that runs throughout all facets of the organization. You should be able to call our patient experience areas to find out what's happening there. You could call our finance department and find out what's happening as it relates to supplier diversity. You could contact human resources and learn more about employee resource groups and learning and development programs. So that has been very exciting for me as it um, relates to our work. We have more than 30 key performance indicator leads. So these are individuals, some of which are senior leaders who own DEI goals. So for example, our chief financial officer owns our supplier diversity goal. And those goals are built into their um, job responsibilities and they, they are held accountable to achieve them. And so I, for me, it, it's a great way with the strategic plan. It, it, I think it helps people to better understand the importance of this work, to know that we're being strategic about it and very mindful about it, and to help others, everyone to better understand that all of us have a role to play when it comes to DEI, not just one department. Absolutely. It's a great point in terms of diversity efforts being built into leadership um, across different departments. And I saw head nods um, across the board from, from our panelists here. Did anyone um, want to weigh in on, on Rayanne's thoughts here? Yeah, I, I can say that we've done the same thing um, before we even started setting up governance and framework. We went through that exercise of really taking a, a temp check of where we have been, where we were currently, what the landscape was and where we wanted to go and building into that, that fluidity that you're able to, to pivot and be agile enough to deal with what happens, such as everything we faced with all the racial injustice bubbling um, the way it has in the last two years. So um, I think that is a really key point and I agree, we, we went down the same path. I was just gonna add that I agree also with Rian for a couple of reasons. First of all, data is factual. So it's not perception. You look at the data, you can demonstrate the facts. The second part I think is important is a lot of times with um, programs with DE&I, you could, there without data, you could have a lot of subjectivity in it. As Rihanna said, you could have a lot of activities but you may not be actually truly inclusive in your efforts because even though you have employee resource groups, you may tend to uh, lean towards these th three groups versus another three. And I, I just think that the data clearly demonstrates that you have a strong DNI pro DE&I program. And um, also for the, um, 
accountability when you talk about board reporting, when you talk about leadership reporting, um, that data should be a part of really performance, uh, performance reviews, um, and also was mentioned the employee engagement surveys. So I, I think I agree with you 100%. I think the data is absolutely key to make sure we're hitting all of the marks that we really want to. Erica, I would add just one more thing. Um, shortly after we launched uh, Abide, we took a, a unique approach to um, gaining more insight and that all of our associates, so about 160,000 associates, were invited to take part in a series of open and virtual listening sessions where they could anonymously share their experiences and their unique perspectives um, on racism and systemic injustice, working for Ascension, um, where they see areas for improvement and how we can become more inclusive, um, where all would feel welcomed or valued and appreciated. And then these sessions, based on the feedback that we got from those sessions, were transitioned into themes uh, and, and followed by dialogue sessions, which were much smaller group discussions based on those themes that we heard in the listening session. These were critical because that information, as I mentioned, that listen, pray, learn, and act is a part of our ongoing journey um, to get to meaningful action, uh, but not jumping to activity, sort of determining what our baseline is and where we need to start. And we thought, uh, our associates would be the best um, to inform us of where those opportunities might be. I think it's the, the people element of it. And yes, we need the frameworks, we need the data, and we need, you know, the, the strategic direction and the, the guardrails, but we have to build into it the authenticity as well. And, and, and as Michelle said, it's, it's really giving the employees the voice as well to be part of it. Um, you know, when you look at Gallup and how they look at employee engagement, one of the pieces that's one of the biggest levers to, to pull to drive engagement is my opinion counts. So to Michelle's point, it's you've got to, you've got to get that voice of the employees and let them feel part of it. And it needs to feel authentic and genuine um, because that, to, to your point er, um, earlier, Erica, is going to build the trust, is going to build this, this sense of community together. Absolutely. And Michelle or Andrea, when you talk about, you know, taking a pulse on the employee feedback, how often are, is that something that you're doing and going back and looking at it? So we're so, doing a large, oh, sorry, Michelle. No, no, go ahead, Andrea. Um, we, thank you. We're doing, a, we do our large census survey um, once a year and several pulses throughout the year. And we're moving to um, an even more interactive listening strategy this year, where we're going to be doing more on-demand pulsing, more pulsing within certain key areas, more topical pulsing, as well as an always-on pulsing mechanism as well, where once a quarter, we're just going to post, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a live feed question around a different topic, whether it's belonging or diversity, equity, inclusion, et cetera. And, and we're looking at different mechanisms to do that. And as well as as I mentioned earlier, our inclusion groups play a really you know, key role in part of that listening strategy as well and giving the employees another voice um, you know, throughout. Sure, and Michelle, how about at Ascension? How often? 
So our listening strategy is ongoing. Um, although we started with the uh, listening sessions and moved into dialogue sessions, we're actually in the process of expanding on that. And we have some other strategies to continue that listening uh, strategy over time. Uh, we are also, uh, when we think about this from a measurement perspective, um, the initial, initial phase of our measurement strategy is focused on inclusive culture as well. And in order to measure that, we focused on an approach to create an abide index that will measure how associates are experiencing the abide hallmarks. Um, that will be um, used to measure our inclusivity and perceptions of diversity and our culture. And that is something that would be on an annual basis. Okay. Just in the interest of time, I'm gonna jump to this last question here. Um, Cause we each touched, I think you each touched on it um, in, in your responses in, in the last few minutes, but as a leader, how do you go beyond meeting benchmarks and, and ensure a meaning, meaningful culture of inclus inclusivity is maintained? So again, I, we each talked about benchmarks and um, trust, but how do you just really ensure we're going beyond beyond those meeting those benchmarks? Karen or Anne, I'll pass it to one of you. Sure. Kick it off on the so I think the most important as a leader is not only uh, not only awareness or uh, and I can speak being as a leader in a different part of the organization. Um, going back to Michelle's point, listening is the most important. So you want to have a relationship with your team that you're listening, and while you might have a, a great plan we all have to be honest and say not 100% is gonna be engaged in that plan. And I think as a leader, when you do recognize that there is an issue, um, that a true culture would be that you react to that issue. And that if it's an issue of someone feeling discriminated, if it's racial tension, if it's um, a problem of, of not feeling, I mean, even just saying someone to say, I'm not heard. You know, I, I shared what I needed and I'm not heard. I think as a leader, we have the obligation, um, each one of us, to be sure that we understand where our, what our team's feelings are and that if we really have this culture of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, then we're going to be, we should be held accountable for the, for the effectiveness of our listening. Yes, yes, I would. I agree Karen's response, and I love what you said about being heard. I think one of the um, pitfalls of our DEI efforts is um, we don't, do, and I don't think it's unique to DEI. I think it's across organizations in general. We don't do a good job of closing the the feedback loops. So we go out, we listen, we do a lot of listening, and in many cases, we do respond to what we have learned and heard. But I think we fall short as far as going back and communicating to our employees, to our patients, to, in com and to communities we seek to serve, going back and communicating to them in a way that they understand how we applied what we learned to our policies and our practices and how it's positively impacting outcomes. And so I think um, doing a better job of closing the feedback loops 
in communicating the impact is, is an area that we could can do better in. I also think as leaders, we lead by example. And there was, during our talk this afternoon, there was, we, we emphasize senior leadership, top leaders. And I definitely agree with that, but I also wanna put this out there. I think we need to spend also significantly more time focused on middle management. I find that we're very focused on senior leadership. We're very focused on the front line and we're overlooking the middle. And if you look at some of the research in the DEI space as relates to organizational development, that's some of the constructive um, feedback around our approaches. We're not addressing middle management in the way we are so focused on senior leadership and others. So I would just add that. I think it's also about connecting to our people and it's connecting to each other as humans. And, you know, in the last two years, we've been living in unprecedented times. And, you know, we have been just working 24 seven and it's insurmountable challenges that, you know, we have to make sure that we are providing those safe spaces and without shame or blame or guilt or judgment um, for people to share and talk and to connect with one another. And, and to Rayanne's point, I couldn't agree more. It's not just the senior executives, it's, it's the middle management who are getting crunched from the front line, from the top. Um, and you have to look at leadership. And we've been doing work to really look at the DNA of an NYP leader because it is changing um, in, in this new world that we're living in and leading through chaos and crisis has, has really had us to pivot um, and, and do things and look at things a little differently. And it's that authentic, vulnerable leadership where you can have that conversation. You can share your own experiences and, and be humble and say, I didn't realize that. Wow, I'd love to hear your story. Uh, that intellectual curiosity to learn more about one another as people as to what we're facing, not just in the walls of our organization, but when they leave our organization and go home, because we know that people carry that into work too. And like I said, this is this is nothing that we could have ever anticipated we would all have to be living through. And I think it has really honed in on the fact that our leaders need to connect with people very differently and create that sense of belonging for people. Because if I feel like I belong and I can be who I am and not have to cover or hide any part of me, that I'm gonna be respected for that, then I'm gonna give my discretionary effort and I'm gonna, that's going to impact our customers and patients in a positive way. That's going to impact our business in a positive way. For sure. I think, think that goes back to what you were saying earlier as well about the, the authenticity. And Michelle, do you have any closing words of wisdom for us on, on taking inclusiveness, inclusive culture beyond benchmarks? Sure. So I think inclusion really shows up. We've all said this and how we value differences, welcome individuals to serve with, um, with us and ensure that associates have the ability to attain their full potential. And, and Andrea said this, it requires a mutually safe space for conversation. That's truly important. Um, I would say leveraging associate voice is also important because it not only engage, engages them, but it again provides that opportunity for you to make the connection to what you hear and take that meaningful action um, uh, as it relates to that. When leaders listen 
um, to employees and hear what they say, particularly about diversity and inclusion insights, they can take that information and collaborate to create a more inclusive environment. So it's really important to create that environment uh, where each person can share their lived experiences because there are just so many benefits each way uh, associated to leader um, that can be um, achieved as a, as a result of that effort. Thank you all so much. That is all the time that we have left for today's panel. I just want to thank our excellent four panelists again for thoughtful conversation and for taking the time out of their very busy schedules to be with us today. And also thank you to our attendees for attending Becker's Women's and Diversity Leadership event. Please be sure to check out some of the other sessions we have going on during this panel. We look forward to having you at future Becker's events. And also please let us know if you have any feedback or questions. Thank you all, take care.